in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went to a deserted place. And there he prayed. Jesus got up and went to a deserted place and there he prayed. The inconvenience of truth, part two. My friends, last week we witnessed Jesus deliver his inaugural sermon in the Galilean village of Capernaum. Jesus entered the synagogue. He spoke the truth of the tradition from the law and from the prophets. And as a result of his teaching, unclean spirits tried to shout him down. You may recall from me that the interesting aspect of the story is not what Jesus taught to get the unclean spirits to jump at him. Instead, I was more intrigued by the sages. For the Bible doesn't tell us what these traditional religious leaders were teaching in the synagogue. But whatever they were teaching, it obviously brought calm and comfort to unclean spirits. Whatever they were preaching, it made the unclean spirits in the church feel safe and secure. Thus, woe to the preacher, the preacher who is so duplicitous, devious, and disingenuous that demons feel safe in your sanctuary. Yet Jesus comes in with the vocal cords of virtue and the tongue of truth. And you recall this causes the unclean spirit to lash out. But even here, the unclean spirit must acknowledge the truth of Jesus's presence. For the unclean spirit says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This tells us that truth may be inconvenient. Truth may make us uncomfortable. Truth may be inopportune. And truth is definitely disadvantageous to the demons of deceit that are in our midst. But at least as the man with the unclean spirit experienced, no matter how comfortably deceit reigned in their community, the truth is still the truth. And it's the truth that will set us free. Well, my brothers and sisters, this week's gospel lesson picks up where the story left off. Jesus, after casting out the unclean spirit, after teaching authoritatively, Jesus leaves the synagogue serenaded by the crowd. Jesus leaves the synagogue a champion of the people. Jesus leaves the synagogue adorned by the chants of their praise. It's early in his ministry, 
But Jesus' prestige, his prominence, and his popularity is on the upswing. The people, they appreciated his ability to speak truth to power in the synagogue. The people, they were impressed by his capacity to speak with authority on, the le on behalf of the least, the left out, and the left behind. And if these attributes weren't enough, the people are now overwhelmed by Jesus's ability to practice eternal medicine. Jesus, in the text, he enters the house with his disciples. And here, Peter's, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, she was sick with fever and Jesus raised her from a sick bed. And then a healing revival broke out. The revival says, the Bible says that all through the night, the whole city gathered at her door. And Jesus healed varying diseases one by one. Yet early in the morning, before the break of day, the Bible says that Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place. And Jesus began to pray. In the middle of the healing celebration, Jesus pulls away. With admirers and onlookers crowded at the door, Jesus, he pulls away. Jesus pulls away to search for a place of prayer and supplication. He pulls away to see some time for communion and contemplation. Jesus, he pulls away. The writer of Mark says that he goes to a deserted place, but biblical scholars note that there were no deserts around the Galilean village. So therefore, they believe that it's really more appropriate to interpret the text as Jesus went to a lonely place. Again, an ironic contrast here. Jesus is surrounded by an adoring crowd. He's admired, he's appreciated, he's prized, and he's popular. Yet Jesus withdraws to a lonely place. He pulls away from the adoration and the onlookers to seek out silence and solitude. And I think you and I can learn a lesson from Jesus here. Oh, for there comes a time. There comes a time where we must all pull away from the comfort of the crowd and the titillation of all things popular. There are times when we must suspend our social calendar and keep at bay our constant amusements with so many distractions, diversions, and interferences, and interruptions. When do we ever have time to just sit alone with God? More importantly, when do you and I ever have time to sit alone with ourselves? Let me admit, friends, that I'm the chief sinner here. At any waking moment of the day, you can find me reading from a Kindle while listening to music on my computer. 
engaged in a text conversation on my iPhone while checking fantasy football scores on my Apple Watch. <laughs> Some around these parts have accused me of having the attention span of a two-year-old. I won't call any names, Alana. This is why I know the importance of carving out time at least twice per day to do nothing but sit in silence. Time away from the hustle and bustle. Time away from the buzzing and pinging. Time to let our minds be at rest so that we can talk to God, but more importantly, that God might talk to us. We all need to pull away. Yet I still wonder if something else is going on here in the text. Jesus could have remained to relish in his popularity. He could have stayed to ingest the aroma of his celebrity. Yet in the midst of people knocking down the door, he opts to go to a lonely place. I suspect that Jesus chose to do willfully what he knew was coming inevitably. For Jesus knew that there will always come a time when we must choose between popularity and responsibility. There are going to come a moment. Oh, young people, I'm particularly talking to you, you choir. Young people, undergraduates, professional school. There will come a moment when we must choose between fidelity to our call and the mere pursuit of fame. This is an inconvenient truth that Jesus accepts early in his ministry. If we're going to commit to a moral principle rather than a mere profession, then we should prepare to walk alone sometimes. Oh, Jesus came with a mission. He laid it out to the sages in the sanctuary. He demonstrated compassion to the people at Simon Peter's house. But I'm confident Jesus realized an inconvenient truth. Though some may appreciate, applaud, and admire the principles that he professes on this day, the second that he starts teaching the personal implications of those ideals, Commendations can quickly turn into denunciations. Oh, okay. Y'all are looking at me crazy. Let me give you some examples. Uh, ask Moses. When Moses showed up on the scene speaking truth to power, it was inconvenient for the power structure of Egypt. Unclean spirits jumped out to silence Moses. The people celebrated Moses, but what happened once they exited Egypt? What happened when the people who celebrated Moses had to begin to count the costs of their freedom? The people began to grumble. Appreciation turned to criticism. Adoration turned to complaint. Moses found himself in a lonely place. That's where love will land you. You don't believe me? Ask Jeremiah. Jeremiah will tell you that he earned the nickname the weeping prophet, honestly. 
for when political corruption started to tear the nation apart, Jeremiah sounded the moral alarm. When enemies from the outside started exploiting corruption from the inside, Jeremiah spoke the inconvenient truths. But soon, everyday people, not just the corrupt political structure, but those that the prophet cared most about, everyday people, began to label him the prophet of gloom and doom. Oh, why do you have to be so negative, Jeremiah? Other prophets are telling us that this will all be over real soon. As soon as we get a new king, we'll be fine, Jeremiah. But you're telling us to look within ourselves. Jeremiah, stop being a buzzkill. One day they celebrated Jeremiah. He had courage. He had candor when he was talking about the folk over there. But the next day they excoriated him for daring to hold his own community to the same standards of honesty and integrity. That's what I'm talking about, the inconvenience of truth. Truth is a two-edged sword that cuts both ways. Thus, Jeremiah found himself in a lonely place. And in prayer, brothers and sisters, I believe that God may have revealed this vision to Jesus of his own future. God probably said to Jesus, don't get high off the contact smoke of compliments. The same people who sing your praises when you seem to be on their side are the same ones who would try to punish you when they think you land on the other side. For that's the problem with truth. Truth doesn't pick a side. Truth and righteousness reside above our puerile allegiances and our petty affiliations. This is why the same crowd that will exalt and honor you when you heal Jesus is the same crowd that will deny you when the cross of suffering appears. The same truth that will cause some to celebrate you in Capernaum will land you on a cross at Calvary. I'm here to tell somebody that the cross of truth will put us in a lonely place. This is the inconvenient truth that emerges from today's text. This is the moral lesson for us all today. Like Jesus, we should all be okay being out of favor sometimes. We should all accept that there will be times when we are ostracized and execrated. If you live well enough and you live long enough, one day you will be detested and despised just for doing right. But this is what it means to live a life of principle rather than a life pursuing power. This is what it means to live a life of conviction rather than just seeking to live a life of comfort. You and I must all make the difficult decisions. We must all make contentious choices. So therefore, we might as well start practicing now. Find your lonely place. For it's in this lonely place that God can restore us. 
God can comfort us and God can encourage us so that we won't ever get tired trying to do right. Let the church say amen.